Praise the Lord. Are we good? Well, it's good to be here. Uh, as, as I said, um, pastoring the church at Itaewon, we're in a bar, and so we don't have to dress up anymore. Hallelujah. I, I, think, I think Martin's an intruder here at Hillside. I think he really belongs at uh, Itaewon. Could you stand up? Could you stand up, Martin? There you go. That is the Itaewon outfit right there. And uh, so, very nice. Very nice, yeah. We wear sandals, but uh, it's okay. Yeah, and then every week, Pastor Christian comes in in his suit, and I just feel like a chump. I'm like, oh, but it's all right. It's nice doing church in a bar. But it's great to be here as well. Uh, I'm really blessed by you all. It's good to see many of your faces at Friday Fire. And uh, for those that I'm not able to see at Friday Fire, uh, please talk with me afterwards. I'd I'd love to see you and talk with you. Um, Is this sounding okay? Is it not too loud? Is it all right? It's good? Okay. During our recent Niagara conference, um, we experienced a a lot of the moves of the Holy Spirit. And what God was doing the most, what clearly he was doing the most, was he was doing inner healing during the conference. And uh, it was dealing a lot with uh, our identity in God as his sons and daughters, as his friends, and breaking off just every false identity that the enemy has put over our lives. And there were seminars on, you know, dealing with the spirit of rejection, uh, dealing with the orphan spirit, uh, becoming a friends of, friend of God. And, and it just, the theme continued on. And during altar call, you know, sometimes I get worked up and I want to see, you know, power and, and fire. But as I pray, it's like, no, you know, God just wanted to speak his love and to speak just his mercies over us. And I know you, many of you guys have said this already, but God is truly preparing our cups. He's, he's increasing just our ability to receive from him because we have to have our identity right in him in order to really be just a, a conduit of his love, to really be just a channel of his Holy Spirit. And during the uh, Friday night service, our speaker, Sarah Yang, she gave a lot of illustrations, a lot of stories, uh, just, just showing our identity before the world compared to our identity before God. And uh, it was really powerful. It was really deep. And uh, one of the stories that she hit on was Don Quixote de la Mancha. And it was a story of this man named Don Quixote. And I, I just felt like God wanted me to retell this story again today. Uh, to you guys, especially for those of you who missed it. And if you weren't at Niagara or if, or if you weren't there for all the seminars, you can access all of this on the website, niagarakorea.com. You can go there and all the MP3s are there, niagarakorea.com. But uh, I'm going to tell this story and uh, I'm going to have to read it from my notes a little bit because I'm actually going to read straight from the play. Uh, it's a summary, so it's just bits and pieces, but this is some of the script. So Don Quixote... Uh, He's known as the Knight of Woeful Countenance. He goes off in search of adventure, and he counters a woman named Aldonza. And uh, she's a prostitute. And Don Quixote approaches this woman and respectfully greets her as my lady. But when Aldonza hears this greeting, she sarcastically responds by saying, Me, a lady? I was born in a ditch by a mother who left me there. Naked and cold and too hungry to cry, I never blamed her. I'm sure that she left, hoping that I would have had the good sense to die. I am no lady. I'm only Aldonza. However, undaunted by her bitter reply, Don Quixote, he he replies, he insists, Your name is not Aldonza. I give you a new name. You are my lady. And I give you the name Dulcinea. And Dulcinea, what that name basically means is sweet, 
Good. It's a, it's a term that you would say to your sweetheart, to your true love. It was everything that the world would say Aldonza wasn't. And later in the story, Don Quixote, he encounters her again and again. And in this one part, he encounters her right after she had been raped uh, in a barn. And he approaches her and he addresses her as my lady. And she screams at him and says, don't call me a lady. Won't you look at me? I am only a common prostitute reeking with sweat, a man a thing men use and forget. I'm not a lady. I'm Aldonza. I'm nothing, nothing at all. And then she runs away. And Don Quixote, he calls out to her and he says, my lady. And he calls again, my lady. And then he calls her by her new name. And he says, Dulcinea. And this continues on throughout her life. And finally, at the close of this play, at the close of the story, Don Quixote, he's on his deathbed and he's blind and uh, he's about to pass away. And into the room comes this beautiful woman. And she approaches and she kneels at his bedside. And he asks, who are you? And she stands and she greets him and she says, my name, sir, is Dulcinea. And you see, finally, at the conclusion of the story, the woman named Aldonza, who is so filled with self-hate, she became Dulcinea. She became the kind of person that Don Quixote, he always envisioned she could become. She became that Dulcinea. And you see, Aldonza, she never knew her self-worth until Don Quixote spoke it over her. And he had to speak it over her again and again and again. But soon, it finally reached into her inner core. And she realized that she was more than just a reject, someone neglected, someone cast away. But she was someone's lady, someone treasured, someone sweet, someone pure, someone good, a person to be loved. And in the same way, God, he's speaking new names over us. Just as Don Quixote called Aldonza Dulcinea, he never called her by her name that the world had given her. He called her by the new name. God is speaking new names over you and me. He's speaking them continually. And during the Niagara Conference, he kept speaking them over us time and time again. And uh, just this love. And I want to tell you guys that his love is never finished. That he's never done speaking this love. That all throughout the story, Don Quixote, he kept going to her and saying, my lady, my Dulcinea, and speaking his love over her. And it's the same way with God. Our God never sleeps. He's never tired. He's never looking away. His eyes are always on you, and he's always speaking out the truth of who you are. And so today, I felt the Lord putting on my heart uh, to share this message, just more of his love. And the title of the sermon today is, I am God's treasure. And uh, I'm going to reread what David just read for us. It's Deuteron- Deuteronomy 14.2. It says this. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to uh, be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You are his treasured possession. Now, many of us, we know that we're sons and daughters. You guys learn this. It's like Bible 101. You're accepted by God. That means you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. And many of us, we're able to accept this to some extent or another. But for most of us, our value before God is not dependent on what God says, but it's dependent on the value before our own parents. And uh, for some of you, your parents, parents, no matter what their background was, they tried to love you as much as they could. And for some of your parents, I mean, you guys got a lot of love. Uh, You got a lot of kindness shown to you. Uh, But for for others of you, for many of you, sadly, uh, you received a lot of neglect, a lot of rejection, a lot of hurt from your parents. So when you're told that, hey, God is your father, 
Um, what Satan will do is he'll often show you the imperfect father here on earth. And he'll say, no, this is how much God values you. This is your value here on earth. You see, a son of a king or of a powerful person, they'll often be very confident in who they are. They'll know who they are and they'll, they'll walk in security. They'll know just because of their father and the position that their father has, they'll know that they possess it as well. But for a son of a peasant or a son of a man of lowly character, oftentimes they'll put their self-worth at the level of their parents. They'll put it right there. Not just the words that their parents speak over them, but also just the social status of where they're at. Yes, I'm, I'm a son of God, but this is my lot in life. And this is what I'm called to do. And they get buried under that. But I want to tell you, God, he makes it clear that, no, you're not just my son. But he says throughout Scripture in Psalm 139, he says, You are fearfully and wonderfully made. My works are wonderful. You are wonderful. I know that full well. In Isaiah 43, he says, You are precious and honored in my sight, and I love you. In Isaiah 62, he says, you are a crown of royal beauty in my hand. This is each and every one of you. In Zechariah 2, he says, you are the apple of my eye. We just read Deuteronomy 14, he says, you are my treasured possession. And you know what? In Genesis 1, as as David was just giving God praise of creation, of how beautiful just creation is around us. In Genesis 1, our great, majestic, and beautiful God, Out of all creation, he said, for us and us alone, I have made you in my image. I want you to think about that. A great and beautiful God made you in his image. So what does that make you? Okay, I want want you to repeat after me and I want you to say it loud. I am beautiful. beautiful. Okay, now I want you to tell your neighbor, I am beautiful. Okay, and you can tell your neighbor, you are God's treasure and you're beautiful too. Amen. That's scripture, folks. Whenever I share my testimony of how God led me here to Korea, if you guys don't know, I serve in a children's home and I direct an orphanage ministry called Jerusalem Ministry and my heart is for North Korea. But... Um, before, in, in college and when I was younger, I never had a heart for missions. Uh, I never really liked children. And uh, I didn't even know where Korea was <laughs> in the world. Sorry. And um, so I, I, it's very surprising that I'm here right now. And so whenever I share my testimony of how God led me to Korea, I always highlight the verse Psalm 37.4. And in the NIV, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And what I found in my life was that just the world had put a lot of false desires over me, desires that I thought were my own, but were really just of the world, desires to you know, stay in America, live a comfortable life, marry young, uh, have, have kids, have a nice house, get a nice car, uh, just be very comfortable in my life. And it's not like those desires are that bad, but they were very generic desires that the world tries to put on every single human. And as I pursued the Lord and sought him, what he did was he began to peel away those desires of the world. He began to remove those false desires and reveal the true desires in my heart. And like I said, I, you know, before, I didn't think I had any heart for children. Uh, missions scared the heck out of me. And uh, I didn't know, you know Korea or, or any of these other countries. But as God began to reveal the treasures in my heart, as he began to just come in and reveal these desires, just, just joy and hope springs out of me. And now I'm so in love with these kids. And I love this country, and missions is what I'm, what I'm meant to do. 
But I had to delight in the Lord first in order to find that, in order to find those true desires. And I want to tell you, it's the same for our identity. That just as the world tries to put these false desires over us, these generic desires that uh, I'm going to you know, get this education, I'm going to get this job, and I'm going to do these, these things, he, uh, the world also puts these false identities over us and says that you need to be a certain size, shape, appearance, social status, a certain job, uh, just all these different things on our lives and in order for us to be accepted, in order for us to have true value. And you, you know what? What happens is God has given each and every one of you specific treasures. We don't have the same treasures in every heart. He's given you a unique character, a unique personality. Even your background and some of, some of the hurts and pains you've endured, he has given you to shape you and to grow you in his love and teach you his love. And the truth is that every single human here on earth has a unique fingerprint. We are each unique in God's sight. And he has given us specific treasures. But because of the world and because of just all the commercials and advertisements and because what we're taught in school and junior high that sadly sticks with us throughout our life, just these things cover up the treasures of our heart. And we become generic. We become just trying to be like everyone else, just trying to fit in. Now I want to show you how God sees us. The world sees us, and they're trying to shape us into, into this one way. But God sees us in totally different light. And I want you guys to open your Bibles. I want you to open them to Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to see how our king sees us. Matthew 13. I'm going to read verses 44 through 46. These are two parables that Jesus gives. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had, and bought it. And while Jesus is referencing the kingdom of heaven here, I want you to tell you that you are also a part of the kingdom of heaven. And what you just read is the gospel. That while the world sees you know, things that are covered up, they just see a field or they just see a clam, what God sees is a fine pearl. What God sees is a treasure great enough that he will give all that he has. He will give his one and only son for us. This is the gospel that God sees the treasure in each and every one of your hearts, and he sacrificed his own son for you, that you might become his possession, that you might become one of his children. And in 1 Peter 2.9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim his excellencies that has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And you see it is the same for the treasure in the field and for the pearls and the clams, They were both hidden. They were both covered up by the ways of this world. To the world, it was just dirt. It was just a clam. Nothing special. Nothing of value. But for God, he saw through the darkness and he saw something so valuable, so precious, that he sent his only son to die for us. We are his treasure. We are the treasure that he seeks out. Romans 8.19, it says that creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
And I want to tell you that so much of us, we let the dirt of this world, we let our past, we let what people have spoken over us determine our value. But God says, no, the true value is what's found in your heart. The true value is what I have given you and it lies on the inside. It is covered up. And all of creation is longing to see that treasure revealed. All of creation wants to see who you truly are. You're his treasure. And in Luke 15, it's just like the shepherd who left the 99 to find that one. Just like the woman who searched everywhere to find that one coin. Just like the father who waited longingly for his prodigal son to return. And for each and every one of them, when they finally got that treasure, when they finally found the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, they each celebrated They each rejoiced and they invited their friends, their family, and they gave praise to the Lord. And it's the same in heaven. God is rejoicing over you. Angels are rejoicing over you. You are God's treasure. And I know that some of you who are hearing this, you know, the the lies of this world, the things of your past, the voices that have been spoken over you that were wrong, many of them conflict in these messages. And we hear it and it's like, oh, you know, that's kind of nice, but we're still so trapped into that false identity in that past of just what we once were, the value that the world has put on us. And I want to tell you that there are many in the Bible who can relate, that you can relate to. And I'm going to highlight one woman that that is often looked over. And her name is Hagar. And if you don't know the story of Hagar, she was an Egyptian maidservant that served Sarah, who was the wife of Abraham, the father of, of all who believe. And um, Hagar, she was a servant, and likely she found her value in that. She was less than Sarah, less than Abraham, and she had little hope of ever becoming someone of greater value. But what happens in the Bible is Abraham and Sarah, they're supposed to have a, a son that is set apart. And after 10 years, they begin to grow impatient. And Sarah says, why don't you take my servant here, Hagar, and she will serve as a surrogate mother, and she will have a child through you, Abraham, that will be that chosen child. And here Hagar had a chance. Here Hagar had a chance to become something more than a servant. And sure enough, she became pregnant. And the scripture says that she began to show contempt towards Sarah. She began to despise her mistress. And what this means was that she was showing pride. She was showing that, hey, I'm better than you, Sarah, because look, now I have the son that you always wanted. Look, I have the son of the great Abraham. And what happened to Hagar was because of her pride, because of her contempt, of Sarah, that Sarah became angry and abused her to the point where Hagar ran away. Hagar just ran off on her own. And when, uh, if you don't know, Hagar was never really a part of God's plan. We know that her child, Ishmael, was never part of God's plan, and, and her descendants through Ishmael actually became enemies of the Israelites. And we know that Hagar, she's done wrong here as well. She's shown contempt to Sarah, disrespect, and she's run off in disobedience. And so most of us in, in you know, just the world site would say, look, she's got no value. She's cast off. She's rejected. What's the point? She's not part of God's plan. Who cares? God is focused on Abraham and Sarah. But it's not true. You see, what happens is Hagar's on a run. And she's upset and afflicted. God hears her cry. And God appears to her. And he says, I have heard your cries of affliction. And he speaks life over Hagar. And he tells you, you need to return, you need to submit to Sarah, you need to obey her, but I'm going to bless your child, and I'm going to be with your child. And you see someone that, you know, was trying to find value in, in you know, just her, her job, she had no value in her life because she was a servant, and then suddenly she has this child, and she thinks she's the best, and, and just she's soaring above the clouds, and then she's rejected and cast into the desert. Up and down, up and down, God speaks the true value. And he says, I see you, and I know you, And I bless you. And Hagar, 
of all the people in Genesis, she gets a new, fresh revelation of God. And in Genesis 16, 13, Hagar says this, She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God who sees me. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. This is the first revelation of God as a God who sees us. This is a woman who did not deserve to be noticed. She was a woman who had sinned, a woman that was not part of God's plan. But God saw her, and God loves her. And I want to tell you that no matter what your past is, no matter what's been spoken over you, no matter how you've been treated, God is always watching you, and he's watching you in love. He hears your cries of affliction. He cares for you. You are his treasure. And the world might say, no, you're not a part of the plan. No, you don't, you don't have a place here. No, you know, we, we reject you. Leave. The world may say all these things over you. But God is watching and God loves you and he accepts you and he will take care of you and he will bless you. He will bless your children as well. You are his treasure. You see, what the world has labeled you and what you've done, even the sin that you have done, it cannot hide who you truly are before God. Because the sins and the labels, it's all on the outside. It's all in outer coding, but God sees through and he sees into your heart. He sees these treasures and he loves you. There's a powerful prophecy of Jesus in the book of Zechariah. And this is a prophecy of his betrayal. And you all know that he was betrayed by Judas. And uh, in the book of Zechariah 11, the prophet Zechariah, he is commanded to become shepherd of God's people. And so he shepherds the flock. He is the chief shepherd over the people, but then he is rejected and he is commanded to quit. And so I'm going to have John put it up here, Zechariah 11, 12 and 13. And we're going to see a clear prophecy of the betrayal of Jesus. It says this, Then I, Zechariah, said to them, If it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. You see, Zechariah, he is the shepherd of God's people and he is rejected. He is sold for 30 pieces of silver. That is the price that he receives. And if you did not know, 30 pieces of silver, it was the price of a slave. It was very little. The lordly price at which they paid me. He's given 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave, and God commands him, throw it into the house of the Lord to the potter. And while this is a clear prophecy of Judas, and that Judas was paid 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus, who was the chief shepherd of the people, who is then rejected by his people as shepherd and, and commanded, uh, and he's imprisoned, there's something deeper to this prophecy. And it's in Matthew 27. It's the account of the betrayal. And I'm going to ask John to put that up as well. It says, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. And so we see this prophecy is fulfilled. The wages of the shepherd given back to the house of the Lord and to the potter. But there's a deeper symbolism to this. A far deeper symbolism. You see, the potter's field, what the potter is, he's a man. You guys should know this. He's a man who takes clay and he forms jars, bowls, and pots out of clay. 
And what his field is, is just a piece of useless land. And what happens whenever his pot is damaged or a jar is broken or it's just it's a defect, it's rejected, he takes it and he throws it into the field. It's a burial place for rejected, broken, just, just unwanted jars of clay. And that is what the Lord purchased with the wages of his son. His son, being the chief shepherd, gave up his life for us so that God could purchase the potter's field. You see, we're just broken jars of clay. And that's what the world calls us. We're broken people. Labeled by the world. But if you look at 2 Corinthians 4, 7, and John, if you could put that up, Paul says this, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see, while the world saw just a, a field of broken jars, broken pots, just, just broken people, God instead saw treasure. He saw something special. He saw something redeemable. And he took every broken jar of clay and he fills us with his treasures. He fills us with his presence, with his light and with his glory. And we become something far more valuable than anything else here on earth. He has chosen you and he has redeemed you. You are now far greater value than you were before. The scars and the brokenness that marked you before he is healing. And no matter how many scars that you have, he still sees through your heart and he values you. You see, for every sinner... For every person in need that came to Jesus in the Gospels, he accepted them and loved them. We see the woman at the well. We see the woman with the issue of blood. We see Zacchaeus. We see tax collectors. We see drunkards and gluttons. We see all these sinners, these lepers, these people who are sick and demonically oppressed. And they all come to Jesus. And what Jesus does before anything else is he touches them. He loves them. He speaks acceptance over them. He sees the treasures of their heart. He sees the value of their lives. And while the world says these are useless people, these are sinners, these are worthless people, God sees treasure. And he chose fishermen. He chose a zealot. He chose a tax collector to be his disciples, to be near him. And these men weren't perfect. These men were rejects. They were at the lowest of society. They were the people that others would just look over. But God saw something special in each of them. And they weren't perfect. They made mistakes. They said a lot of stupid things. But God continued to love him. Jesus continued to be patient with him because he saw the treasures in the heart. He saw something that is going to cause the world to turn upside down. And that's exactly what happened. God transformed their lives. And as they were in the presence of Jesus, the treasure in them began to be revealed. It began to come out more and more and more. And I want to tell you guys, as you are in God's presence, those treasures come out. That as you're in his presence, those false identities are removed and you begin to shine with God's light. And I want to ask you guys, um, have you guys ever seen someone glow? <laughs> I'm not talking about the pregnant glow. I'm talking about glowing well, with the Lord's light. I've actually seen a number of people glow, and I don't know if it's just me or, or what, but um, it's such a blessing. And I remember before I came here to Korea, uh, I was at my younger sister's high school graduation in America, and a girl walked up to me. And uh, I had known her in high school. She was a former classmate of mine. She was very worldly, uh, very, very worldly in high school, not a Christian. And she went to school and chose dance as her major, um, very, very worldly. But I'd heard she was saved. And what I saw before me as she came up was far beyond my expectations. She came up to me smiling, and she was glowing, glowing so brightly. 
And I was like, wow, you know, Crystal. And we began to talk. And, and uh, I found out that she had been at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. She had done Fire by Night. And what Fire by Night is, Fire, Fire by Night is, is uh, it's an internship where for six months she was in the prayer room from midnight to six in the morning every day for six months. She was in the presence of God. And it was so clear. She had just come back and she was just, just glowing with God's presence. And we talked and we caught up and then she walked away and I nudged my mom who had been talking to someone else. And I said, Mom, did you see her? And my mom said, she was glowing. That girl was glowing. You could see it. And uh, I want to tell you guys that uh, I've even seen some of you guys in this congregation. I've seen you glow. And uh, I don't think many of you guys knew that you were glowing when you were. The book of uh, Acts says that Stephen stood before his accusers and his face looked like the face of an angel. He was glowing. And I doubt he knew it. But many of you guys, if you, as you have been in God's presence, you have been shining his light. And then I want to tell you, when you see someone glow, you cannot deny they are beautiful. They are beautiful. Guy or girl, I, I don't care. They are beautiful. <laughs> and you see, the, the world tries to tell us, you know, he tried, the world tries to judge us by our outer appearance. And the world tries to say that, no, in order to be beautiful, you need to do this to your body. And we see this in Korea. Korea has been overrun by plastic surgery. But I want to tell you that you can put as much plastic on your body as you want. You can't attain true beauty. You can't attain true beauty. Only by God can you attain true beauty. And the true beauty, God says, is in your heart. True beauty, he says, is within. And I want to tell you that as you are in God's presence, as you seek his face, as you just receive this identity that you are his treasure, that that light inside you begins to shine. No longer you're judged by the world. No longer you're seeing yourself in the reflection in the mirror and just seeing your skin and seeing your outward appearance, but you're seeing who you are before God. And you begin to shine. And I'm telling you, people notice, not just, not just me, other people notice that you are shining God's light and you are beautiful. And that is who you are. Beautiful God made you in his image. That is who you are. And uh, before I close this message, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have John. Uh, he's going to get it ready. But uh, I'm going to have, have him play us a song. And I want you guys to just enjoy the Lord's presence. And I want you to read the lyrics uh, on the PowerPoint. And uh, just let them speak into your heart. Uh, it's a song that I love. It's a song by Sean McDonald. And it's called Beautiful. And I just want you to receive from the Lord right now. I just want you to bask in his presence. So, John, if you have that ready, you can go ahead and fire that up.
I'm going to ask Aegyung to come up. You guys keep the lights down, actually. Uh, I'm going to say a prayer over you guys. As I say this prayer, I'm going to ask for the uh, altar ministry team to come up. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you, Lord, that you love each and every person in this place, Lord. I thank you that your love is here, God. I thank you, Lord. We are beautiful in your sight, Lord. We are your treasure. We are not far off from you, God, but you see us. You are the God who sees. And even when we're afflicted, Lord God, even when, Lord, we're struggling, even when we're in sin, even when we've just messed it all up, God, you see us and you love us and you accept us and you affirm us. And you say that we are beautiful. You say that we are precious and honored in your sight. You say that you love us. And God, I thank you for every soul that you have brought here today to Hillside. I thank you, Lord God, that we are part of the family. That we're not alone in this. That we are not far off, God, but you call us to come back. You call us to come together as one. You call us to love each other and to speak this truth over one another, Lord. God, I just bless your congregation right now, Lord. I declare that they are your treasured possession. I speak to every hurting heart, Lord. I just speak your love coming in, your love and your grace ministering. We bless your presence in this place. What I want to do right now is I want to do just a, an altar call for, for some of you uh, in this place. Um, you may have been at the church for a long time, maybe for a short time, but there is yet to be a connection. You still feel distant or you just don't feel, uh, feel that connected, feel that close with the church. Uh, for whatever reason, I, you know, I don't know. But this is an open altar call for, for any of you with, with that heart. Because I want to tell you that you are accepted and that you are loved and you are part of this church. You are God's treasure. You are of value. You are of such precious value. And I just want to invite you now, if this is your heart, if, if this is where you're at, I want you to ask, please, ask you to please come up and just receive prayer from one of our altar ministers. And they will just speak love, speak life, and they will bless you. And for the rest of you, I just want you to, to continue to just praise the Lord for who he calls you to be to speak these identities over yourself and to receive his heart. So if I could get a few more altar ministers to come up and to stand right up here in the front.